Welcome to the Digital Brand Builder Podcast, where we bring you the best growth strategies from the world's experts to help build your business fast. And now, here's your host, Mark Fidelman. Hello, everyone. Joining me today is Russell Nolte. He's going to show us how to build an audience from scratch. You know, I'm a big believer in building community before you build a product. He's got a very unique approach, and I can't wait to learn from him. So, Russell, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. And can you give us a little bit of your background in uh, 100 words or less? Sure. I'm a USA Today bestselling author. I'm the publisher of Wannabe Press and the host of the Complete Creative Podcast and the training academy that goes with it. I've had five businesses, three before I turned 30, all failed uh, because I didn't understand audience building. And then the fourth one blew up in my face before I even got a chance to build an audience. So it wasn't until the fifth company that I started that I really understood all of these things and have been able to put them into practice. Wonderful. So you got uh, you got the wounds to show, right? You didn't just hit it out of the ballpark the first time, then try to tell everybody else how to replicate that because you got lucky. So I, I like this approach. I think most people can relate to having a few failures, and they're looking for guidance as to you know how to make it uh, not you know number three, number four, number five, number ten uh, work out for them. So let's dive right into that. So can you kind of give us a high level about? you know, what you do or recommend people do to build an audience from scratch? Sure. So um, uh, just uh, really quickly. So even my company, Wannabe Press, uh, it took a long time to get the audience building right. We started in 2015 and we uh, didn't really start scaling our company until 2017, where we went from uh, about 2,000 people on our mailing list to 20,000, all the way up to 75,000 before we kind of cut it down. We remain now about like uh, 15 to 20,000 people on our mailing list usually. And what I have learned from people uh, is they are very uh, into telling people to to scale, um, but not why they should scale or the foundational reasons behind scaling or at what point you should scale and how to get to the point of, of, of scale. So uh, what I do uh, very high level is I show people how to build the foundational elements in place so that when you scale, you will be able to do it profitably instead of doing it uh, well, frankly, how I did. So I have a story about Twitter. I've got about 27,000 people that follow my Twitter account, and they are useless to me because I did not know my audience well enough before I scaled. I thought that getting a bunch of people was more important than getting the right people. I think and, we all did, yeah. Yes. So I, uh, uh, I, I, I mean, I use Twitter because uh, uh, I, I, I have things to promote sometimes and my friends are there, but it's a pretty useless account compared to my Facebook account, which remained at about a thousand people uh, until uh, the beginning of 2018. And we've now grown that to over 14,000 people. Uh, so the just uh, what I do on a high level is I show people foundationally what they need to do before they scale and then help them scale once they have all of the right pieces in place. Got it. So let's start to break that down because this is such an important topic. I think that a lot of people need to know and understand, um, how do you go about identifying the right people to build a product or service around? All right. So I'm going to assume for the moment that you have an idea uh, that you would like to pursue. Do you think that's fair? 
I think a lot of, especially entrepreneurial types have that idea for sure. Yes. Okay. And you probably have some sort of yearning to make a product. It could be a creative product. It could be uh, a bike. It could be manufacturing, whatever it is, but you've got an idea and you're trying to find out the kinds of people who would buy that thing that you already know. So first things first is uh, I always try to keep it in your network first because they're going to be the easiest people to reach out to and uh, and have real conversations with much faster than, uh, than, than groups on Facebook or making new connections and making a new network. So um, usually when I talk to somebody that has, uh, that has an idea, they've been posting about that idea for a while. Maybe not exactly about that idea, but uh, they're posting. I know people that write books about haunted houses, and they've been talking about haunted houses on just on their Facebook or their Twitter or their Instagram for a long time. They've been doing art for a long time, or they're already in a bicycle bicycling community, or know people that have bi- that 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 uh, buy bicycles. Usually uh, with most entrepreneurs, uh, their idea is not completely out of left field. It's something that they've kind of been building towards for a while. Uh, So the first thing that I tell them to do is uh, you need to start reaching out and doing the unscalable. So one of my favorite quotes is the only way to scale is to do the unscalable. And that means having at the beginning, having real conversations with the people who are in your network already. Um, Not just anyone in your network. And I'll, I'll explain specifically who you should reach out to in a second. But my favorite example of this is Airbnb. Airbnb was a failed product uh, that was not able to, uh, to, be, to be profitable. And they went, they literally flew all around the country to their best hosts' homes and started talking to to them about what they were doing, taking photos of them, uh, taking fo- uh, 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 making redesigning their page with them in mind. And that is how they really got to scale because they were going to people who were hyper users of their product and they were, um, and they were, and they were designing what they were doing based on that and the use cases that they were finding. Uh, so it is, uh, usually people are told to, uh, you know, do a survey or do, uh, or do a Twitter poll or something and mm-hmm. almost never do those work because nobody wants to answer them. Uh, but they do almost always answer when, if you reach out to them one-on-one personally. So, uh, the first task that you have is, uh, assuming you have an idea, you should be posting about that idea on social media and talking about it. In, in, in person, talking about it around because you kind of want to get a sense of whether there's, a, there's good energy there and, and sort of define your idea. But once you are sort of posting about that idea and, and, and you're, you're going to find that certain people like your posts. Uh, and now what you're looking for uh, before you reach out to them are people in your social network who are not your parents not your girlfriend or boyfriend, and not people in your immediate circle of friends. So my best example as someone who's almost 20 years from high school is somebody who uh, you knew in high school but don't haven't hung out with in many years. You may still have them on your friends list, uh, but... They're not, uh, they're not exactly uh, uh, someone that you're talking to on a weekly or even monthly basis. So, but somebody uh, that, is post, that is liking and commenting that, you kind of don't know why they are liking and commenting because you haven't talked to them in a long time. Does that make sense? Yep, that makes sense. 
And so this is when you this, this this is the basis of who you're going to reach out to. This is the first marking of someone who is in that audience who is going to enjoy the thing that you uh, that you are posting about and your take on it. Uh, and so, uh, really easy. Uh, you just want to reach out to them. Uh, reach and, out. And to most them. of us have those people on Facebook, right? You 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 know your old high school friends that have found you or college friends that have found you and it's pretty easy to find. So is Facebook like the best place for it? I like Facebook, but I can't say just Facebook because some people are much more prop, uh, prevalent on Instagram or Twitter or Pinterest, but it is about finding where sort of your strongest and where you have the best sort of organic network. Okay. I think that Facebook is almost always going to be the case, but um, I know the generations uh, yeah, after me complain about that. Yes. They're, they're going to, find somewhere else but, but the instagram instagram it's harder to find people uh, at least for me i mean you could you could do a lot of creative searching on facebook i found yes i agree uh so i always tell people that, that if they have facebook that's what they should use because it is where you have the personal network that is separate from the professional network and we're really at the beginning here um I'm making I'm, I'm again making an assumption that uh uh most entrepreneurs I talk to are nervous about reaching out to random people who they don't know. Uh, and so I'm trying to make this as easy as possible for them to like have these conversations because, uh, the, the, one of the myths that, that, that I work to bust a lot is that, um, people don't want to be reached out to. They don't want to be connected and you're bugging them. Um, and I find that if you do this with people who you're friends with, at least, yeah. you have some connection with, then right. uh, it's a little bit easier to convince an entrepreneur or somebody uh, that, uh, that has an idea to actually take the action. And it's really the most important action that you can take is reaching out and having these real meaningful conversations with people that are in your, uh, th that are going to be in the audience of the of, of what you're making. Uh, secondarily to that, it's really important to understand that everybody that's in your network is not in your audience. Everybody that likes you on Facebook or is friends with you on Facebook is not going to be the person who's buying that product. So uh, a lot of times, one of the big myths that I, that, that I find is people say, I have a thousand friends on Facebook, which means I'm going to have a thousand people to buy my product. And that's absolutely not true, which is why it's important to find these people who are tangentially in your network uh, because they are the best chance you have of, uh, of, 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 of crafting a product that both you and them are going to love. Does that make sense? Yep. I'm following you the whole way right now. Awesome. So when you reach out, uh, your goal is to uh, find out a whole bunch of information on this person. You want to find out why they like you and like why they like the product and like what kind of stuff that they're into, but also what kind of Facebook groups they frequent, uh, what kind of, uh, of books they read, what kind of movies they like, basically all sorts of stuff that can give you information about how you can take that one person and expand it out a little bit into 10 or 50 or 100 people. The biggest thing that you don't want to do, though, uh, is to make it about demographics. Uh, I, uh, there's nothing worse uh, for an entrepreneur at the beginning to be like, well, my customer is a 35-year-old person who goes to yodeling camp every summer. Um, what you're really trying to do is create the essence of uh, the 
the the attributes that make somebody love your work uh, or that that why people love the thing that you do so for instance our company wannabe press my publishing company we have a mascot melissa the wannabe and into it we poured all of uh all of uh our company's best traits. So people that are rebellious and creative and no nonsense and artistic and, um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and like practical advice and like, are like adventurous and like, and, and, and all of this sort of like kind of have a snarky, sarcastic attitude, the mm-hmm. kinds of uh, shows that they like Buffy, the vampire slayer and, and, uh, and uh, invader Zim and things like that. So it all kind of pours into that, person uh or that 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 avatar but it's not a person i find that we get so caught up in the app the exact person um but more likely it's not an exact person that you're looking for it's a personality that you're looking for um i have fans that are 18 and i have fans that are 83 and but they all kind of have the same kind of anti-authority uh, do-it-yourself energy about them. Yeah, I find with avatars, I mean, they're just meant to direct people within the organization, outside the organization. So here, some there's a type of person that you focus on. It's usually not one; it's three. But I do understand your point: is that they're not they're they're just it's a fake person. It's not a real person. So what you're saying is kind of listen to your own audience, no matter who they are. And, you know, figure out how to market to them based on some common traits, it sounds like. Absolutely. Now, demographics becomes important when you're doing Facebook ads and when you're targeting yeah. and finding your lowest customer, lowest customer acquisition cost and highest, uh, and highest lifetime value. But my favorite example of this is um, there's a book called Johnny the Homicidal Maniac that came out from SLG at the beginning <laughs> of the 2000s of this, of this, of this century. Yeah. And uh, the the creator of it, Jonah Vasquez, was very sure he was making it for eighteen to twenty four year old men. However, the demographics of people who generally liked the book and responded to it are were eleven to seventeen year old women. Uh, so he, uh, he he uh, he 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 made something that resonated, but not with the people he thought it was. So I just. I want people to uh, to not get caught up in what they think, especially at the very beginning, because when you're when you reach out to that one person, you're going to make some assumptions. But then they're going to tell you uh, other groups that they're part of, other places to look, other books that they like, other things that are related to that person. And so you're going to have one person, um, one person assumption, and then your goal is to reach out to a couple more people who who meet that assumption and you're going to realize that you have failed in about 95% of the assumptions that you made and but you, you but it was right in about 5% of cases and from that and then and then talking to two more people and from that talking to three more people and eventually you want to get at least 10 people at least yeah. 10 people who are in your ideal sort of network uh, who sort of can amalgamate into one person that has the traits that you're looking for that drill down below all of the, the, the overhanging information. And you're looking for three to seven traits that they, these people share. So personality traits, uh, uh, um, a person that likes Neil Gaiman is much different than a person that likes George R. R. Martin. They, they're two different sort of, uh, 
uh, kinds of people that are going to respond to those books. There will be some overlapping, but you're really looking for you're really looking for the traits that you're going to be able to to shout out to the other people that you're uh, about what you're making. And can um, you can you advertise to those traits on Facebook? I suspect Neil Gaiman fans for sure. Uh, yes. George, I don't know George Martin, um, but I know Neil Gaiman is an amazing writer, by the way. Uh, what can, can you advertise those traits? So the traits, the like, like brave and all of those, like like personality traits, you're not going to be able to advertise to. But that is more important to invite the spirit of your product mm. than it is the uh, the other information. The that message, going, right. the message that'll resonate with them. Yeah. Absolutely. And then the, but the, the, the other information that they give you about, uh, you know, what, what, what shows they like and what like places that they go to, those are going to be able to be advertised to. Uh, and the more information that you get from 10 or so people, you're going to be able to basically create a, a, a sort of advertising list that you can bring into Facebook and sort of look at, 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 uh, at who is going to give you the lowest ad cost. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah, but the, oh. the, 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 the real thing you're trying to, to figure out with these perfect customers is message and the kind of product that they are looking for, because they are going to tell you what is missing in the market. Yeah. Okay. Now, once you figure that out, and that is a unique approach, I hadn't thought of it that way. Um, how then do you translate that into a product that or service that people want to buy do you do you present the product or service first to this group or do you wait for their feedback to decide on how to you know finally shape it well there's two different things that are important about this the first is that they will tell you but the second is uh they will tell you out of the side of their mouth one of the most important things i've learned in business is that People will tell you what they want, but they will not necessarily tell you what they will actually pay for. Mm -hmm. So there's a couple of stages for this. The first is um, you need to figure out what they are saying that they want. Uh, 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 so you'll like, let's say, let's take bikes for an example. Uh, there may not be a good foldable bike that exists and that's what they really want. These are people that live in a city. They are, uh, you know, they're they They don't want to put their bike in the front of a, of, of a bus. They just want, but they want to fold it up and they want to like use it as a backpack. I don't know. That's just like, but they all kind of say the same thing. They all kind of live in a city in densely packed areas. And like, this is the thing in the bike market that you, that, 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 that you think that they think is like the killer product that they really, really, really want. Um, so that is when you start going back and you sort of design something. I don't recommend spending, no, you're not going to be spending a lot of money at this point uh, because uh, they are wrong, are almost always wrong about what they really want. But what you want to do then is to like, like come up with an idea of what separates you from the market based on what they're telling you and then uh, bring it back to them. And you're looking for, um, usually they'll say, oh, that's nice, or that's so cute, or like, wow, that's amazing, uh, trying to save your feelings. What you're looking for in their, in, in their wording when you show it to them is buyer intent. 
buyer intent is when they go say something like, oh my God, where can I buy this? Or why isn't this available now? Or, or I have to tell three friends about it. Or uh, things where you can, you can tell they are visibly excited. They're using buying language. If they are not using buying language, you have not actually found something that they will buy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, people, yeah. people are very careful to, um, to parse their feelings out and make sure that like you don't feel bad, even if you've made something that they're not super into. So there are two pieces about this though. There are also two pieces about this. You may have designed something amazing, but your audience might be wrong. So you may have designed a killer product, but, uh, but the people that you've been designing it for are wrong and you need to start again using the same exact thing and making sure that like you're building it differently now that you have an idea. Mm. Uh, because there's a couple of things that can go wrong when you're building a business. Uh, one is that you have a bad product. Two is that you have the wrong audience. And then three is you have the wrong price point. Uh, so you have to make sure that, um, that all of those things make sense. And, uh, but assuming you have the right audience, uh, they are going to tell you exactly what, uh, whether you, have hit the nail on the head with their words, not by just saying, you can't ask them, Will, would you buy this? You have to uh, uh, circuitously talk to them about the product and see what they say. And then uh, one nice thing that you can do is if you have a website, hopefully you have a website or Thrivecart or some sort of cart feature, you can create sort of a mock landing page to see if they will actually buy. Hmm. Again, all of these things are happening at the very beginning with just your 10-person audience. Yep. And if one person buys, that's a 10% conversion rate. That's a pretty good idea that you're on the right track. Um, you, don't, you can then refund their money or like not take the, the, the pre-order, but you're trying to, with this, 10 group of pe this, this group of 10 people, find a product that hopefully at least one, but, but, but more like three or four of those people buy. The reason is because those people are your friends already. So you've already done a lot of work so that they know, like, and trust you. Yeah. And when, and, and so you, you should have way more than a 10% conversion rate on the product before you can actually start scaling it. Mm. But, uh, at some point you will have, uh, what you think through iteration and design and redesign and redesign, you will have, uh, something that the people that are in that sort of test group. Uh, really resonate with, or you have abandoned that test group and found a different test group uh, that that uh, that uh, that you can that that you can test with. But at some point, you will have the product and the audience. And business is nothing more than product and audience. Right. Uh, and, so how do you how do you test to see if they will buy it? Do you put a an offer in front of them or an ad or? How, yeah. how are you testing to see if they buy it? So once you have, uh, once you have sort of gotten their buy, once you think you've gotten their buy-in with the product, that enough of that, fifty percent of them, sixty percent of them, really like are, in, are 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 super excited for it, and you're you're hearing that buying intention. That is when you set up a landing page and actually put the product up there and see if they will actually buy it. So you can use a cart feature like Thrivecart or Samcart or ClickFunnels or, 
or, or uh, you can build a PayPal button onto a website that you already have. Or heck, you can just use PayPal and like say, hey, PayPal me $100 if you want to get in on this thing uh, and, and put up and, and, and give them your email address and see if they buy. But it's some, and, and, and you're the first time, you're probably not going to get it right. Uh, they're probably, you, you, you think you have gotten the buying intention, but they say, uh, but they don't buy. And that's when you can go back to them and say, why didn't you buy? Like, you don't, you can't be like angry about it. You just have to say, this is interesting. Like, I'm wondering why you didn't buy. You said you were excited for it. Is it a time issue? Is it because it's too expensive? Whatever it is, you're trying to figure out uh, what what's making them not buy. And you're going to have to iterate this three, four, maybe 10 times before you get 50, 60% of them to buy. But, uh, but yes, you're, you're, you're either the easiest way is to give them your PayPal uh, email address and, or Venmo and have them just pay you. Uh, um, the, the, but you can also set up a whole bunch of other ways that are more complicated. I try and keep it really simple, uh, at the beginning with, uh, with people because, uh, I don't want to, uh, invest my time in making a product that is, uh, uh, even making a, a web page or a simple web page, uh, until I know that there's buy-in from the people I'm designing this product for. And it makes perfect sense because, you know, why waste all those resources, put stuff up, ready to capture it with messaging, and none of it's tested, and you're hoping to get lucky. And I'm sure after four failures, you've learned that, hey, let's get it all done up front so I don't spend a lot of money. Absolutely. And one of the things that I also say is, you know, let's say you want to create a bike. Maybe your first product is a bike horn or a book on bikes, or a really cool kickstand. It's something that you can do much more cheaply than a fully designed bike because you're just getting into this market. And people are a lot more willing to give you, you know, 20 bucks if you're not tested than uh, they are 300 or $3,000. Uh, so one just good way to test uh, that audience is to give them just a sliver and something that you can that that you can uh, 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 manufacture uh, and deliver very easily. Yeah, I find that you know you see a lot of these entrepreneurs that don't think that's sexy enough, and but I think it's a great strategy. You know, come up with some unique horn for a bike, um, but you know it's just not sexy enough for them. There's like I'm not you know quitting my job and becoming an entrepreneur for a horn. But well, no, I don't think any, and I don't think you should quit your job and become an entrepreneur for a horn. I think you should use that horn to say, yes, I now have a product that has a profit margin uh, and an audience that I can take the profit margin from that horn and invest it into marketing and development of the product I really want. There's this, uh, there's a saying that I use, and I, I work mostly with authors, uh, uh, and, uh, and, and other creative types. But I always say, don't make your dream product first. If you, if you make your dream product first, you are basically guaranteed to screw it up because mm. uh, you're not good enough. You, you haven't designed enough. You're not, yeah. and, and, and you're too precious of it. Make something that you don't care about nearly as much that you can do at a very high level. If it's a uh, short story or a, uh, a, a picture book, or uh, something that that will take far less resources and allow you to iterate much more easily. Otherwise, you're going to have a situation like the coolest cooler, 
Uh, the coolest cooler is the most popular Kickstarter in, uh, uh, at least was, it raised $10 million. And then uh, five years later, it still hasn't delivered anything or it's delivered poorly because that person didn't have a history of design and they didn't have that they weren't able to grow into that position. So no, I certainly don't think you should uh, you should bank your your entire career on uh, on 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 a bike horn or a kickstand. But I do think that by by making the coolest kickstand of all time, uh, one that will never fall down no matter what you do, uh, you then prove yourself to the audience you're trying to create for. And it allows you to build bigger and bigger and bigger stuff and get that word of mouth a lot easier and get that buy-in a lot easier the second and third time around. Yeah. I mean, this is all great advice. Um, and if you're thinking about you know, starting a product or you've already started a product, you could reverse the steps and you know, do it over again. And as painful as that sounds, it, it probably you know, is the best thing that, that you can do. So let's say you've got product market fit. You've gone through your process here. You've got a, a product that's resonating with at least half, you know, five people out of 10. How do you scale it? Okay. So now you are, so this is really important because now you have to have a product, you have an audience and you have a product that has a profit margin. Like it has to have a profit, some amount of profit margin because that profit margin is what you're going to use to go back and do Facebook ads and figure out your marketing and all of those other things. It can be very small at first, um, but it's going to usually start with going to, to, to places where your perfect customer already lives. So um, those 10 people who are in your audience are going to have told you about Facebook groups and meetup groups. Well, when things get back to normal, hopefully meetup in, in person places and, uh, and, uh, and online places and forums and all sorts of places that the perfect person congregates. So, um, for instance, I, uh, we can take this podcast for a perfect example. I went to a podcast conference and I was told about a website called Spot a Guest. And I joined a, ma a mastermind for business podcast because I have a business podcast called The Complete Creative. And from being on Spot, uh, Spot a Guest, I was told about Podit. And from Podit, I was told about Matchmaker FM. And each of those steps brought me closer to being on this show um, because I, uh, I, I, I sort of took what my audience was saying of where they were hanging out and I expanded it. I expanded it more with each time that someone told me some new information. So before you start running Facebook ads and doing all of this huge uh, ad spend, you now have to take what you learned about those 10 people and turn those 10 people into 100 people. And you turn those 10 people into 100 people by going into the forums, by... Um, by, uh, by, by, by finding where they are and not talking about your product, but actually getting to know them. So your first hundred customers, I think we talked about this before, and your first hundred customers, your first hundred people in your fan base are the most important because they seed everything that you're going to do for the rest of your, the, your company's history, uh, pretty much. Uh, once you have that avatar in place and all of those things, it's very hard to change it later on um, with, with, without destroying sort of the unique piece that makes your company what it is. So you want to make sure that you're going out and you're serving them. So this is when I recommend starting a blog or a podcast or some sort of free content that you can uh, come up weekly 
um, at least weekly. Um, but if you can't do that monthly, but something that you can do that will service that community. So in the, in the bike example, you can, um, you can have a blog about, about, uh, about like new bikes, the best kind of bikes, new technology in bikes, the best hiking trails, the best biking trails, the best races. There's all sorts of stuff that you can give them that, uh, that, uh, that don't involve uh, you selling them the thing that you're making because they're not ready to be sold the thing yet. Uh, a big mistake that people make is thinking that because the 10 people who've known them for a decade are willing to buy, that suddenly means that everyone they meet is going to want to buy from them immediately. Um, so this could be uh, conducting webinars as well about, about some part of bicycles or bicycle safety, or it can be all sorts of stuff. Um, but your goal now is to take the places that the people hang out, um, go to there and sort of plant, start planting your flag in these forums and other places to try and draw people to you from, uh, from where they are. This is not saying that you are going to, um, that, that, that they're going to stop living there. You just want them to start living there and also hanging out with you. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so you're taking what you learned from the first 10 and you're applying it to all these other places where those 10 people might hang out. Yeah, yes, and because you have the messaging right now, because the, the, the people didn't just give you their demographic information, but you've been talking to them a lot. You kind of know how they talk, how they feel. Like You don't just have the terminology, but like you've got their attitude down. Some people are a lot more like down-to-earth, gritty, sort of like a biker bar-y kind of person. And some people are country club-y kind of person, much more elegant. And, and, and you want to know what kind of person you're trying to attract and who you're going to attract naturally. I love like literary fiction books and like ones where like the uh, 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 people use very elegant prose, but I can never write like that. That is not my writing style. That is not who I attract. If I went and I tried to be a very elegant, like proper put together person, I would be attracting the wrong kind of people mm -hmm. to my books. So, yeah. uh, and, and, and to the training academy that I have as well. So I try and keep things on a much more practical, tactical, uh, uh, hands, hands dirty level. And because that is sort of the brand that I've, uh, that, that I, that I've built, when I go out into these places and, and onto shows or, or have my own show or whatever it is, I'm talking not just in the manner that they, that those, that those places are, but I'm looking for people that seem to share my mentality that like, sort of like have that like punk Rocky mentality to like sort of try and get those people to come and hang out with me because I think they would like what I have to say. Yeah. Okay. So that's a good place to kind of, you know, look at how you scale at, a one-to-one -one level, and I don't mean one-to-one, -one, but you're, you're going to these communities, you're posting stuff there. Is there a, an advertising strategy then that you can deploy or is there something even bigger that you can go after once sure. that starts resonating? So here is the next part that you need to know. You need to create a system, probably in an autoresponder sequence, that will uh, cut all of, that, that will turn somebody from not knowing you into a rabid fan. So uh, for there... I know everyone talks about a funnel, right? But for me, a funnel is four parts. Uh, a funnel is uh, a certain amount of people that know you uh, will like you. 
like you will trust you, trust you will buy from you, and then people that have bought from you will buy again. And those are the rabid fans, the ones who like love your stuff or the ones who are going to buy a second time. And so your autoresponder sequence needs to be using all of the messaging that you have or your sales funnel or whatever you're doing to get people into your, into your, uh, into your, uh, um, uh, uh, network uh, needs to use the messaging that you've learned from these first 10, these first 100 people to be able to put a bunch of people into the top of your funnel and be able to drill them down into finding the rabid fans. Uh, so I, I, I like to say that this is like a, we all have that uncle that we know but don't like, that cousin we like but don't trust. That friend that we trust, but like he just doesn't have the same taste as us. You know, uh, he goes and always gets anchovy pizza and I really like pepperoni. But then we all have those friends. We also have those best friends, the ones that if you give them $20, they are going to like come back with something that you absolutely love. And that is what we're trying to find in this process of what kinds of stuff do you have to say? What objections do you have to break apart before those people uh, move from one part of the, your funnel to the next part of your funnel? And this is absolutely essential because if you do not have this as in a profitable way, um, and, 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 and it doesn't produce results at the bottom, no amount of advertising that you do is going to work. Um, mm. Once you have this system in place where you can get somebody to break all of their objections to, to, and find the best way to do that, this may be in an autoresponder sequence, it might be in a uh, sales funnel, it might be in a webinar, but whatever that system is, it has to be repeatable. The minute that you get that repeatable, that system, that funnel repeatable, so you can put what two dollars, that you can put a dollar at the top and put, and and pull out two dollars at the bottom. The minute then then once you have that, uh, everything is green light go. So you uh, that is when you can start running Facebook ads. That is when you can start running uh, 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 Amazon, uh, whatever ads that you're going to run, because you know for a fact that the, 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 the funnel is working. And so you can see most people talk about this scale part being the, like the first thing that you're thinking about, but we're now at the, the third stage of what I usually, uh, what I train people to do. And we're just now talking about uh, 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 actually scaling this thing. And because if any part of that is broken, you want to find it before you're pouring thousands of dollars into your funnel or worse, building, getting the wrong kind of person at the bottom, uh, because that is equally, uh, miserable. If you're, if you're finding someone who will pay $2, but then they'll never buy again, then the base of your business never grows. Um, so you want to find the person, get the person at the bottom who has the lowest uh, customer acquisition cost and the highest lifetime value. And then once you're, once you found, once you have that system working, then it becomes pretty easy because you're now pretty engrossed in the community. You'll know like what websites you should be buying ads from, uh, what places you should be targeting uh, on your, on, on, on Facebook. And then it's a lot of testing. You're going to take all of these things that you've learned and you're going to test a lot of low cost ads to see which ones are the, um, uh, uh, not low cost, but low uh, dollar amount. So $5 a day, $10 a day to find out which ones are really the most profitable because then you might be able to put in a dollar and get $10 out at the bottom. Um, right. 
And, and then uh, you're already engrossed in the community. And the best part about using a system like this is if you know your audience well enough, you literally never have to ask the question, what should I make for them? What should I do for them? Where should I be for them? And almost every entrepreneur that I've ever met uh, has a problem with knowing her, their audience well enough. I, I, it's very rare that I meet someone who, uh, who, uh, who, who runs a company, uh, especially an, uh, a not, a, a, an unsuccessful company uh, that, uh, that, has, that doesn't have a problem with their audience. Tons of successful companies have a problem figuring out what to make for, for their audience um, because they also have an audience problem. But uh, I really think that the differentiating factor between a successful entrepreneur and an unsuccessful one is that they don't know their audience well enough. I have never... I've had to to look around and and find products for people and not like knowing what to make for them next. But when that product emerges, I 100% know that it is going to work with my audience every single time, or I at least know that I'm going to have to work really hard to win them over. For instance, um, I, I, my company mostly has made comics. Historically, they mostly make uh, made comics, and I have been trying uh, desperately to get people to try our books. Uh, novels, which I think are as good or better than our comics. But I knew that it would be a losing proposition for a while as I tried to win them over because that is not what they historically have, yeah, have, have bought from us. They've got shorter, shorter attention spans and they like visuals probably, right? Uh, that's part of it. But also it's just, I have made a company based on one thing and people want to put you in one bucket. So mm -hmm. I knew that when I started doing these novels that A, I had to do them in a certain way and B, I had to do them for a certain length of time before I would ever, uh, before I would get the return that I wanted. And I'm willing to, I was willing to, uh, commit to doing that, um, knowing that it would be less profitable than, uh, than, than doing something else because I really believed in it. But I, I, I knew it would be a problem going in. Uh, so it's not like you will, you have to only make the products that your audience will love. If you know that you, that, that, that your audience will like this thing, if they just try it, you do, you then just have to know that it's going to be a struggle. So you'll know your core products, your premium products, you know, your like your, your ancillary products that you could move people into. Um, but all of these things will become crystal clear to you if you, spend an inordinate amount of time getting to know your audience. And this never changes. Um, e even now, I try to reach out to two or three people from our audience at least monthly uh, and talk to them and, uh, and prod them and make sure that like they're, uh, that, that like they're still on board. If they've, if they haven't bought our last couple of products, I try and like figure out what I could do to win them back. And all of these things all come from my, insatiable and uh, 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 sort of a rabid need to know the, the, the customer as well as I possibly can so that I can then make sure I'm making a product that is profitable enough that I can pull some part of it out and use that for marketing so I can find more people like them. Mm. Okay. Well, um, this has been a very good education on how you build an audience. Is there anything, any milestones that once reached, you know, you need to do something different? Like if you reach your first 10,000 that are real community members that are active, is there anything along this journey from 100 to 10,000 or 100,000 that you've got to pivot or do something different? 
I think that before you scale, uh, like really scale with ads, you should probably have a thousand people on your mailing list, like good people on your mailing list yeah. that like you've met and found. And that's not saying you can't have a profitable business with like a thousand people. Our, the first three years of our business, uh, we, you know, we, we weren't doing like six figures, but we were doing, uh, 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 well enough to like survive and get by and have profit to like do the next thing. And, uh, it was, it wasn't until 2017 that we really had our first two hit products, but even with those two hit products, we only, uh, had 2000 people on our mailing list for the vast majority of those two launches. So it's, it's not like you can't have a good, well-established product. What I will say is you might need to have a, a higher end, like a service-based product. So something that you can get reoccurring revenue from, uh, 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 coaching or something while you're trying to build their audience. And coaching is a great way to uh, basically get paid to get to know your audience better. So they're paying you to basically get data from them about how, what they're struggling with. Uh, hmm. So uh, all of these sort of one-on-one -on -one strategies can be monetized as well to help you uh, get a good foundation. I'm not saying that you, I mean, I've seen people do great launches with 100, 200 people on their mailing list. But if you're looking for a, a like a good barometer, I think that a thousand people on your mailing list or a hundred paying customers is a good way to know that you, what you have is working. You'll also know once you have customers, which customers are actually, uh, uh profitable for you, which ones are, um, uh, annoying, which ones are, uh, are, 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 are high, uh, high energy customers, which ones are like your favorite customers and you can move your way in there. So it's, it's really a process of, of, of testing and thinking about the long term. I, 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 uh, would say it would take at least a year to know all of these steps because you don't want to scale before you uh, you know which clients you want because the first step is you know you're you're finding the clients and then you're getting the the, the clients and then you uh, you have to know where you should like there's going to be a bell curve and some of them uh, some of the clients you should definitely fire and some of them you should definitely keep and you don't actually know which ones which until you start actually making products for them and and servicing them does that make sense. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's very. I mean, look, you can scale at any point. I've had people scale with. I definitely wouldn't recommend scaling with less than a hundred people on a mailing list, at least. Um, but I've uh, I've had people scale like much much smaller than my recommendations, and I've had people wait a lot longer than my recommendations. the The best the best barometer is. The, the minute that you can know for a fact what your audience will like um, without you having to like poll them, that is the time that it is that, that, that you can scale uh, uh, really uh, uh, with confidence because you now know your audience well enough to be able to know what to make for them. And now it's just about finding more people, um, more, more people like them. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, I know we can go on and on beyond this, but my promise was for you to kind of learn how to build an audience from scratch and, and you've more than delivered, uh, Russell. I, I've learned a lot and I'm going to apply some of these to the to a course I'm, I'm creating um, 
And uh, I think it's an excellent suggestion. I've done some of these already. I've kind of tested out the concept. A lot of people want to see it, especially now with uh, you know the quarantine because it's kind of a quarantine-related product. Not intentionally. It just ended up being so. Um, so I've got two final questions that I ask everybody. And uh, the first is, what is the hottest digital marketing technology that you are using or want to use? And I know you're not a big, you're, you're more old school. Um, but I, I think, you know, you've got an answer to this. Yeah. So I will tell you the one I'm really excited to, to use in the near future is Thrivecart. Um, mm. I, I've been looking at a, um, most of my sales are still, have still been hand, hand, like, like literally hand sales. Like I would be selling to a person at a show or on Kickstarter. So I haven't yeah. really had to think of like the digital workflow. Um, but I uh, have noticed as we've been trying to transition online that our shopping carts are very janky comparatively to what I would like them to be. Uh, so I am excited to uh, hopefully uh, in the next uh, month try uh, start trying Thrivecart and getting our shopping carts to a place where I, I think they need to be. Okay. And Thrive does what that's different than any other shop, shopping cart technology? Uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I I looked at Samcart and ClickFunnel and all of those ones, and uh, they're quite expensive. Thrivecart right now has an option uh, where you, for six hundred and ninety dollars or five hundred dollars, you can buy a lifetime access, which is less than one year of using any of the other cart features. Um, I've tried I've tried the ones that are a lot cheaper than Thrivecart as well, and they don't seem to have the functionality that I need. I, I would like something uh, called a bump offer. Uh, which is uh, 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 you you once when you're paying you can add a little check mark that says like yes I want to get this other thing for fifty more dollars like on the, the and that is only available on a lot of the more expensive uh, cart options mm. and so uh, uh, Thrivecart seems to be the cheapest one uh, with the most functionality that has all I I need and I don't like having subscriptions to things I like being able to own them outright. Yeah. Um, so it, it can be, there's a lot of them that, you know, uh, like I said, Sam cart and, um, I can't think of the other, but there's a few other ones that are like bigger names in the industry, uh, that, uh, that I'm, that I, uh, plan to that, that, uh, you can look at. It just seemed like from what I needed, Thrivecart was, was like designed to get, uh, to, to be seamless. Um, another one that I use right now is teachable. Um, and uh, I, I host all of my courses on Teachable and my community nice. on Teachable as well. Okay. Uh, the second question, thanks for, for answering. I'm going to check out Thrivecart, by the way. Who are you learning from in sales or marketing today? Who's influencing you the most? Um, Seth Godin. I, I love Akimbo. I don't know if you listen to the Akimbo podcast, but it's no. one of the most brilliant podcasts. He, he breaks down. It just seems so high level to me. Not that I have anything against him. I think he's brilliant, but it just seems so high level to me. What do you like about him? I like that he is talking about marketing strategies that have worked for the last hundred years. And I, one thing that I'm very conscious of is to not follow any fad that might change in three months or two months or, or, or a month. And uh, he is quite a uh, high level, um, uh, more tactical person that I, that I follow is Russell Brunson. Yeah. Um, so Russell Brunson is more like, I think you have to have sort of 
both sides of it. You, know, like you, you want somebody that can give you the overall view of like, what marketing means and push you in a direction. You know, every time I think uh, Seth, uh, Seth Godin always talks about, you know, the minimum viable audience and he talks very slowly and like methodically and he helps me think about things methodically and, and, and whether the thing that I'm doing is necessary. He, uh, there's another one. Uh, James Wedmore is also really good in doing talking about mindset of an entrepreneur and that you don't have to hustle all of the time. And so there's stuff I pull out of all of those three people and more, uh, you know, Amy Porterfield is great. And, um, and, and there's a couple of others, but if I had to pick one, uh, just because I believe that mindset is the most important thing for an entrepreneur. I did not always believe that when I was younger, I, uh, I, I really, uh, put a lot more value in the sales part of it and the marketing. But as I've become more successful and I've been in business for longer, I just realized that it really is all about mindset. It's really all about like, how do I keep going every day? And yeah. I believe that when I listen to Seth Godin, I, I, I find the will to keep going and, and the idea that like, it doesn't have to be fast it's better to be good than to be fast. And like when you're building something for the future, um, you know, it takes a long time and setting the foundations is so important. Um, and I, I, I always, if I feel maybe it's like a coach, you know, like a baseball coach who like, you know, they're always drilling the fundamentals into you. They're always like, no, keep your shoulder down. You've, you've heard it a thousand times, but like, then you get the yips and you like, you know you have to go back to those fundamentals. And I always find myself returning to those fundamentals with him. Excellent. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to wrap things up. But before we do, I want to uh, let everyone know that um, Russell has got a free audience building webinar. It'll be in the show notes, but it's at thecompletecreative.com forward slash audience. You can also find it in the show notes. Uh, and then how do people get a hold of you, Russell? Well, the easiest way is uh, at, uh, if you want to email me, you can email me at Russell, that's two S's, two L's at wannabepress.com or at thecompletecreative.com has all of our epic blog posts, our, our uh, podcast archives, our other free courses, and a whole lot more. All right. Excellent. So I know you guys enjoy this podcast. I certainly have. Write a review. Let Russell and I know about how, what you felt. And if you had any questions, please send them to Russell about this. And uh, hey, we've got to have you back on in a few uh, months just to kind of give us the second half of, of the story. Once after it's scaling and, and everything else, what do you do then? So we, we're going to do that. We're going to put this on the calendar and then we'll, we'll talk to you then. Awesome. I look forward to it. Thanks so much for having me. A reminder that we are not financial advisors and anything we talk about or refer to on the show should not be considered or construed as financial advice. We encourage you to do your own research and come to your own conclusions.